1: Sit back and enjoy Druids
0: in cars going to festivals.
1: So I'm looking down our list of topics that are potential things for us to talk about. And one of them is orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthoscesis. And I just turned to Michael before we started recording. I was like, what? What is
0: orthoscesis? I've never heard that term before. That's because it's not very common. In fact, if you Google it, you're not going to find a whole lot of stuff. But um, much as orthopraxy is you know, right practice. Um, We talk a lot about that in ADF. We talk a lot about orthopraxy in ADF because we talk a lot about how uh, what's really important is the practice that you do. Um, It's not about the belief, which is what orthodoxy is. Um, Orthodoxy is right belief, and right belief creates heresies, which is why I've never really been behind orthodoxy myself. I'm not big on creating heretics out of whole cloth. Um, but orthopraxis has often, it it sometimes falls short for me, um, because I'm not really sure that it's all about the practice. And so when this term came up and I heard it first from my friend, uh, be Oberon. And when they posted about it, it was the first I'd ever seen it. And the basic definition is that it's not about the orthodoxy, which is the belief. It's not about the right practice, which is the orthopraxy. It's about the right relationship, which is what the, the schesis is in orthoschisis. And a lot of the work that we do, I tend to think, is really about that. It's about building that central relationship and taking off from there. Um, So where you might, if you're in an orthodoxic religion, the concern is, does this person believe the same way that I believe? Um, If you're in an orthopraxic religion, the concern is, is this person practicing the same way that I practice? With orthoskesis, what you're looking at is, um, is the person, does the person have the right relationship? The kind of relationship that I would expect them to have with the spirit, with other people, with whatever it might be. So that's what that basically means.
1: I think that is pretty representative. I mean, we've talked about relationships a lot. And I think we both kind of are on the same page that relationships are what kind of make our religion and our religious experience Mm -hmm. um and so i think that makes a lot of sense i just never heard the term before it's not a very
0: common one and like i said when i heard it i was like huh yeah (laughs) (laughs) um which is on its own kind of an interesting uh reaction to have uh because i had kind of a similar one with orthopraxy i'm like yeah you know Practices, they matter a whole lot more than belief. Oh yeah. At least to me. Uh, but then when I when I found this term, I was like, oh this is definitely a term that I need to at least consider for my own work.
1: I feel like and this may be taking it too like literal perhaps, but I feel like it is this blossoming open of what we do as religious people Mm -hmm. and so at the most closed you have this idea that if you don't believe things right then you're wrong and then the next level you have if you're not doing things right then you're wrong and then at this most open level you have this well it doesn't matter what you believe and it doesn't matter what you do it matters the types of relationships that you have with others And so, that might be taking it to, like...
0: I I would caution against an evolutionary approach. That's that's
1: what I'm I'm trying to be... I think that's, like, (sighs) I'm not... Not necessarily the right words, but that's what my brain is doing. And and
0: from where we sit in our work, I think that is probably a a reasonable progression. Um, Which is not... Which would then... It's not really a, you know orthodoxic religions are this level and orthopraxic are this level. No, no. But it is, you know, the way that I look at it is actually kind of backwards. Um, The the relationship informs the practice, which informs the belief. So I've talked a lot about practice, beginning belief. It's Mm -hmm. what creates the belief. Um, So the work that I do the the practices that I have inform the way that I think about things and the way that I experience them. But what I have found as I have done more of this is that it is the relationships that I build that impact the practices I do and that then feed into those beliefs that I have. And so I've I've actually kind of gone the other I've blossomed in the other direction
1: So I think for me It depends, I can start at either side But it depends if I'm starting With a relationship or not If I'm starting with a relationship Where it's like uh, So like I would say my relationship With Poseidon Started from the relationship Moved into the practice A way for me to honor that relationship Moved into the belief where it was like okay, now I need to figure out, like, how this was done. Uh Um, Whereas if it's someone who I don't have a relationship with, for example, Anahita, I knew nothing about her. And so it started with this research, what did people believe? And then it moved into this, well, how can I translate that to a practice that I can do? Which then turned into, oh, you're a lovely goddess to have a relationship (laughs) with.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I think I can I can come at it from either direction. It just really depends on where I I initiate that.
0: I probably can too. I mean, honestly, the I, I've been working with the phrase or with the the word orthoskeesis for a while, not terribly public, obviously, as you had never, <laughs> no, heard, it never heard it before. <laughs> so I, I'd apparently never uttered it in your presence before, which means that I haven't been very public at all about it. Um, <laughs> But the more that I've looked at it and the more that I've thought about it um, over the years, the, the, the more kind of crystallized my notion of, uh, of what orthosgesis is, has become. And uh, so I have dived fairly deep into that well over the last several years now, probably the last three years since I first heard it. And it's just kind of grown on me. And it's it's certainly impacted my language because every time I talk about druidry, I'm talking about relationship. Yeah. It's where I start. It's it's the thing that I, I bring up first. I never talk about, oh, you know, we have the, the shared set of practices anymore. I don't say that. I say we start with a relationship and we build from that relationship. Our practices come out of it and we build upon those and from those practices come many of the beliefs that we share collectively. Um, And that has been, I think, a very clear progression to me about how I have entered and interacted with this. Um, So while I may not be speaking it out loud, I am definitely processing things in that way
1: yeah i think i can definitely tease them apart and at this point like it really makes sense to me to tease to tease that apart and refer to or as something on its on its own yeah but i think a lot of what i've been doing is calling all of that orthopraxy yes because our practice like the practices inform the relationship. I have these practices because I'm maintaining these relationships. Um, and so it's all, it's all circling back around to that anyways. Um, it's just like a, yeah.
0: And let's face it, the practice of Druidry is the building of relationships, the building and maintenance of relationships. That is, that is the primary practice I think of, of modern Druidry and neo-paganism in general. Um, not in specific, but certainly in general. So I think that there's a lot of different ways to to get there. Um, And whether it needs to have its own term or not, I'm not totally sold on yet, but I think that it's worth using it as a lens to explore our our experience and to to look at how we come together as, as folk as well.
1: I think um, it's. I think it's worthwhile to have its own term for it. Um, maybe not within the context of druids talking to other druids or even druids talking to other pagans, but in a larger interfaith context. I feel like the more um, theological conversation and specific theological words we can have um, helps us get a firm footing and be able to talk about our own beliefs in a way that makes sense to folks who have a more formalized theological education. Yes.
0: Um, A a jargon does help with that, because it gives you the opportunity to define words in terms on your own terms, which I think is fairly important. Uh, There aren't a lot of people who use the word orthopraxy, and that has been a useful descriptor. Yes. Uh, when doing interfaith work and talking to other people about, you know, well, what makes your religion unique? If it's a word they haven't heard before, it lets you define it on your own terms and in your own way. And then it gives them a window into what that practice actually looks like. And I yeah. think that's very helpful too. So more, more jargon can be helpful in that way. But by the same token, I don't want to bog myself down in jargon either. Um, so as I think about orthoesis and orthopraxy and orthodoxy, um, I, I just I try and make sure that I'm not diving so far into the words that I forget what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, and I'm not saying to do stuff like that, but I do think it is a useful. Um, I think it's useful to have words like that it so is. that we can be involved in those interfaith conversations. So do you think there is an example of a wrong relationship? If we're talking about right relationship?
0: I do think that there are plenty of examples of wrong relationships. Um, I, I, I've said before that I tend to think of relationships as the same... With, with the spirits, as the same kind of relationships that you would have with other people in many cases. Uh, and I do believe that there can be you know, abusive relationships with spirits. Um relationships where the boundaries are not set correctly. Relationships where uh, it is relationships that do not bear good fruit uh, that can sustain and nourish you. Those kinds of relationships, I think, are not right relationships. And we get into them you know all, all of us end up in a relationship like that from time to time And that's not our fault, I don't think. It's the fault of, you know, the the person who makes it not a good relationship. And I think that there are ways to work yourself out of those kinds of relationships. And that starts with boundary setting. If you can't set boundaries, then the relationship is probably not a good one.
1: Do you think that... I feel like I'm going to answer my own question here. So what I was going to ask was, (laughs) do you think that right practice can lead to wrong relationship? And I think my answer there is yes, it can. It certainly can. (laughs) Because you can be doing all the right things and still end up with results that are not what you intended. Yes.
0: (laughs) So, and there there are good examples of that all over the place, but if you give and you give and you give to a particular deity and they don't listen to you, that's not a good relationship. Um, if all you ever get back for your offerings is
1: strife and discord,
0: I was gonna go with the word curse, but yeah. <laughs> unless you're looking for strife and discord, which all hail, Eris, Some people do. Uh, you, that's not a. That's not a fruitful relationship. It's not something that you can uh, really grow into. And I think that any relationship that you have that is good is one that will allow you to grow and change and develop. So, relationships that don't do that, I think, can be bad relationships, even if you do everything right. And once more, it's worth you know, it's worth making sure that we're not blaming the victim when it comes to bad relationships. Because you can do everything right and still end up in a relationship that is wrong for you or neglectful or abusive or any of those kinds of things. There are lots of things that can happen there. That's why I was
1: answering my own question there. I was like, yeah, you can totally be doing all the right things and still end up in a bad
0: situation. You absolutely can. And again, it is not the fault of the person who's doing all the right things the fault of the side that's not doing those things that they need to do to maintain the relationship and some people probably would be weirded out by me suggesting that deities or spirits can be at fault for bad relationships but
1: I think we have plenty of examples of that, we sure just do. in the lore generally. Anyways, yes, um, it, it's not it's not a modern problem.
0: <laughs> no, it is definitely not a modern problem, and uh, it, it's something that you know our our deities are limited. They are not all powerful. They have their own urges because they have their own intellect and thought that is outside of us, and so. Sometimes they do things that are in their interest and not ours. Um, and there are not particular deities, I don't think, that are, like, that are more likely to do that than others. Um, but, I mean, it, it can happen. So, yeah. Like we always say, take careful stock of your, uh, your experiences and make sure that they are good ones for you. Because if yep. they are not, then you need to reevaluate them and possibly even walk away from them. And that is okay. I can't say that loudly enough. That is okay. (laughs) So the other side of that, um, you know, you can build bad relationships, as we said. But um, one of the nice things about orthopraxy, as we have talked about it and practiced it, is that um, when you are doing your work and that work feels right to you and good to you, it probably is right and good for you. I think that what we need to do is we need to make sure that when we are discussing our uh, our work, we need to know that it holds value. And that value is something that we put into it because we're doing the work.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to define that as, as this we are the ones who are determining the value of things. Yes. Um, it's In this orthopraxic sphere It is not The value that someone else is putting on The work that you're doing It's the value that you're putting on the work that you're doing Because the work that you're doing Is what you are finding meaning in Because it doesn't matter if someone else Finds meaning in what you're doing It matters if you find meaning in what you're doing Which then leads into that Is it feeding your relationships?
0: Yes Um, I've known people who, for example Have had Um they, they either they didn't have a whole lot of money at the time when they started practicing or they just thought it was really cool. But I've seen people use um, Marvel Thor figures as their Thor deity image on their altar. And sometimes they're terribly embarrassed about this. And I'm like, why? It's a Thor. And it doesn't matter how you see the, the deity. What matters is that your relationship works with that as kind of the conduit for it. Um.
1: I mean, I I started out using, and really I really like the simplistic uh, metal sculptures that don't have faces. Yeah. Um, like, that's my real preference. But then I found this cute little chibi Poseidon, and then I found out that Playmobil made Poseidon Hestia, and so... They've just kind of grown on my altar, and I really like them. And they're, compared compared to, like, museum reproduction statues, you know, they're super cheap. Um, and I love them. <laughs>
0: they are kind of cool. Uh, th- those are the Greekies, right, that you got
1: Yeah, from, from
0: the shop. Yeah, from the shop, the Magical Druid. And uh, the um, there's, like, this whole line of uh, Norse and, and Greek and Egyptian and they're just they're really cool they're, they're adorable <laughs> they really are I, I really kind of love them too um, but yeah it, it, it doesn't matter when you're at your hearth and you're working on your relationship as long as you and the spirit are connected you're doing it right as long as you're building that relationship as long as you're finding that connection you're doing it right and outside people whatever they they don't really have a valuable opinion on that unless it improves your relationship and connection. And you're the only person who can really judge that.
1: And I think it's important to point out here that this is for your solitary home practice. Yep. I think for us as priests and leading a grove and leading public ritual, it does become important that this orthopraxy, that this right practice has meaning for others because we are helping others establish their own relationships.
0: Yes, um, I, I would agree with that, for sure.
1: So I think there's a, just a, a difference there that's worth pointing out.
0: Yeah, and I mean, part of that comes back around to the voice of the folk and the stoles and all of that as well, because uh, if, you're, if you're out over here speaking about something and it's not being heard by the congregation or the congregation thinks that you're kind of wigging out on them, <laughs> then you're not going to be able to, to help. You're not going to be able to provide the the kind of guidance and, and uh, the, the depth of experience that you want to provide. Um, so you've got to be in tune to that uh, when you're leading ritual, when you're doing the work. But, I mean, sure, maybe you wouldn't bring your little tiny Poseidon to and put it on the the main altar for ritual Oh, but
1: I totally would. You
0: probably would (laughs) and I would totally encourage that actually in our group. Because they're so darn cute, we'd probably love it. Um, but when we do ritual, we tend to do it in a far more serious fashion. Yeah. Um, because it, it hits the widest variety of people, I think. Um, and that's important, because when when you're doing public ritual, the aim is not to, lean, not to leave anybody out. Um, and so you've got to kind of hit that widespread as wide as you can.
1: Yeah.
0: Maybe we should do a whole ritual to those little little figures one day. So we'll get them all in. We'll do a, a Greek pantheon. It'll
1: be adorable.
0: <laughs> It'll be terribly adorable. Well, I mean, we did the, the Lego corridor ritual. Uh-huh. I used to play mobile... Shaman for that. Yeah, you did. Which was hilarious. Um, but the, the neat thing about that, though, was that it, it took those core order virtual concepts and made them accessible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And by making them more accessible, they expanded the practice by getting, you know, showing people how to do it and bring them on board with the idea of doing it and showing them really, yeah, it's a very flexible format. You can even do it with stop motion Lego people, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of ways to, to manage it. And I think that pulling that all together and just being very clear that the work that you do at your altar is good work if it builds your relationships then you're doing it right and find yourself in those right relationships because that's what's really going to bring you the blessing that you're seeking at the end of the day Mm -hmm.
1: and to let them feed each other Yes. let your relationships feed your practice and your practice feed your relationships
0: absolutely thanks for listening and there's more to come
1: we welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org.
0: If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org donate.
1: Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski and the music is written and recorded by Mike Biershank.
0: Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about druidry at ADF.org.
1: As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.